Take it, take it from the top. Take it from the top. Okay. Um, well, uh, I guess welcome to my show, uh, Casual with Ryan Proctor. Uh, we got Andrew Freeman here, um, uh, the can- cannabis sommelier, uh, wine guy, um, straight out of uh, Calgary, right? In Calgary right now? Yeah, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Yeah, yeah we're doing the remote podcast. This is kind of like an experiment on my side. Um, but yeah, we were talking on Instagram last night for like a few minutes and I was like, who wants to podcast? I'm fucking bored. And then, yeah, so it's worked out, man. It's great. It's cool. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I really enjoy podcasting. I think it's a <laughs> great way to get to know somebody in a really short amount of time and take a deep dive into their psyche because uh, you can really unbury a lot of stuff talking to somebody for 45 <laughs> minutes straight, especially when you need to keep the conversation going. So that's why yeah. I love podcasting. I said that before too. It's like you're just obligated to talk, kind of. And if you're in the nice, and if you're in the, uh, if you're in the, um, cheers, buddy. Cheers. Yeah. Oh, you got a beer right there. I like your style. Yeah. Casual with Ryan go. Proctor, everyone. <laughs> yeah. But if you're like the thing is by being in the conversation, you're already like ready to like you're you're there to talk, right? And if you're into it, you got to kind of have somebody who's into it too. If they're not there into it, it's going to be kind of a flat thing. So, and no one. I mean, this has been said a hundred times on podcasts, but everyone just talks about how you don't talk for, to somebody for an hour, half an hour, whatever it's usually, you know, that you don't know. It's interesting. Um, when I tried doing the podcast experiment, I was trying to pull them for three hours and it was amazing to me, the people that actually wanted to talk to me for three hours yeah. and how intrinsically I began to know who they were as a person and, uh, I, I love the idea of somebody actually having to engage, stare you in the eyes and, and have a conversation. Yeah, I agree. I think it's like, um, uh, you just don't either. There's like either peripheral sound, peripheral sound or whatever sound like around you or like your distractions going on And here. Um, I do find myself sometimes like you'll be listening and all of a sudden you'll, you'll see something interesting. And I train off and I go back and I'm like, what was I talking about? Like, I, even though <laughs> it's so, even though it's so like focused on somebody, it still feels like, you sometimes I still just gap out and you know turn off it's sometimes, hard to listen for that long yeah. like to be really uh that's the biggest thing is like just attentive to somebody totally i uh i started taking notes when i was podcasting more often and yeah. i found and i do it in meetings sometimes too but i find when i start taking meetings i start focusing on my note more than the next question that might yep. need to be asked or answered. Uh, so yep. I've given up on that and I'm, and I'm better with just telling people I forgot what I was going to say now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's the thing is like, just be honest, right? If you forget what you're talking about, you forget what you're talking about. I used to, I tried to take notes a couple of times and I just, yeah, I just try to focus on the notes and then things just get choppy and weird. Yeah. And, uh, unless they have certain things to cover. Yeah. It's an, it's just not worth my time really. And it's casual, man. Like I, sometimes I don't even record the damn It's thing. casual. It's like, oh, my favorite part <laughs> is when you get to see the title or they say the title of a movie and you yeah. just, you just, you just drop that bomb. <laughs> We're like two yeah. minutes in, four minutes in time, time stamp. Yeah. It, there it was. It's casual. Every, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what have you been doing, man? What's been going on? You've been, uh, we haven't, we worked together a couple of times just on a few of on a, one event anyway. I see you once in a while, but, um, what have you been doing recently? What's been going on? I mean, 
uh, let's not talk about this virus thing too much, but um, I, I don't really care for the virus, so I don't want to yeah. talk about it either. Um, yeah. Things were really exciting. This was the month that I was going to have the most speaking engagements I had ever had, and I, it was going international. I was supposed to be in Nashville uh, this weekend speaking to the American yeah. Culinary Federation because I am uh, one of the first people accredited in cannabis cuisine and edibles from the American Culinary Federation. Uh, it doesn't mean much to us Canadian guys, but the ACF is the biggest accrediting culinary body in North America. And, oh. um, yeah, it's like a really big thing to be part of the ACF. It's like the chef's union for America and the, yeah. uh, the teaching body. So they have, uh, started a cannabis cuisine and edibles program. That's really, really exciting to me. They're going to be accrediting people in that. Um, so I was going to be down there talking to them. And then I was supposed to be at the growing summit in Kelowna doing, um, some dinners and teaching people about the parallels of cannabis and wine. And then right. I was going to be speaking at Hempfest as well. But unfortunately, you know, the C-19 shut us down, locked us in the house, and Dude. made us uh, in- incur some reefer madness. But that's okay. I'm pretty good at self-isolating anyways. I, I, I yeah. think uh, working from home and being a musician and all the things that I've been doing, like, the past three years of my life, I kind of realized that uh, I didn't know the word self-isolating yet, but I'd clearly been doing it. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like you don't even notice, right? Like, it just seems normal. But then once you have to do it, you're kind of like, I don't want to do it. I'm good with yeah. it, honestly. Yeah. I, 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 I don't like people that much anyways. Like, it's so funny because I say, like, oh, my favorite things to do are talk. And, well, I love I love consuming cannabis, pontificating about it. I love <laughs> wine. Yeah. I love yeah. food. Don't I like parties, but I like parties that end at 10 o'clock. So people, yeah, right. you know, take them or leave them, whatever. But they're, an, they're a, a, a very important part of the equation. So yeah. <laughs> that, that's always uh, fun. Yeah, it's like, um, I don't know. Like we just had, I don't want, I, I don't want to talk about it. I'm going to fade into this right now. So um, I don't want to talk about it at all for the most part. But um, yeah, so y- you do this, like your job is pretty much focused on cannabis, right? So um Kind you of. do speaking engagement stuff. So, and then how often do you, like you said, you're a musician. How often do you play music? Like you, do you play like gigs and do you paid for it and stuff? Or? I was a full-time musician before this. So actually oh. everything that I do in the cannabis sommelier is really a transition of all of my failures from music. Had I taken the same model that I approached the cannabis sommelier project with in my music yeah. world, um, I would have been much more successful, but in turn, my music uh, attributes are what gave me the opportunity to understand uh, PR, content creation, all of these right. things. So I've played uh, a couple shows as the Cannabis Sommelier. Actually, um, <laughs> yeah. I'll send you the Cannabis Sommelier rap song. It's a, it's a, it's a freaking heater. Um, so you can you can throw it in right here if you want. Yeah. We can chop it. What's my name? What's my name? The Cannabis Sommelier. <laughs> it's a heater. Um, so I actually met my wife at my album release in 2014. I wrote an album, oh. which was really cool. Um, and it wasn't like successful and I didn't like make money or anything, but I wrote a right. full length hour long album and, and it, you know, oh, locally it did really well. And I wrote a, actually a lot of music. I was thinking now that we're in this uh, break, uh, social break, I was I would release the uh, 26 other tracks that I wrote as a follow-up album to my first Shit, album. Man. 
Um, I love music. I now have a jam band called Hershey Moigel and the Bad Jews. Uh, yep, so right, I'm, cool. I'm, I'm Hershey Moigel and then uh, kind of <laughs> it's a rotating cast of characters that are the bad Jews. That's the band. Yeah. But really at heart, we're all bad Jews. Um, it's kind of yeah. the shtick behind it. And shirts that say <laughs> I heart BJs are always funny. Um, yeah. So so music's more <laughs> of like it's taken a transition. I, I, I like that it doesn't has it become my career or something that I wanted to do like at one point I really wanted to be a famous musician that was like yeah my goal that's what I dedicated a lot of time to in my life a lot of my you know heart and soul and uh now it's a lot more fun just like playing music to for the sake of like playing music and I really right. love it you know um I play guitar and bass and drums I've been playing drums for 15 years and uh since buying a house and having a basement it's been incredible to just play drums every day and um yeah because yeah. drums are one of those things you can't just like live in an apartment and learn how to play the drums no there is no opportunity <laughs> there like yeah. you can have an electronic kit i guess drum pads whatever yeah for sure but like the real drum kit it's not the same it's it's definitely not the same as an acoustic kit shaking around in front of you you get that vibe you get those feels and it's really cool like growing up also and being around actual musicians and finding right. these guys and almost you know kind of uh enlisting musicians constantly everywhere i go hey do you play an instrument do you play an instrument and then finding these guys that are excellent uh musicians to just come in jam with is is yeah. re really cool and it's a great way to make a bunch of new friendships as well so um no i'm not playing gigs but i'm playing more music than i ever have i feel like that's pretty that's cool man it's like inspiring because like <clears throat> i guess you know it's one thing when you do things for a living and you, you do it for fun and it becomes a living or something like that it's sometimes i mean i don't know about, i'm not i don't know a lot about music but i feel like you sometimes just don't want to do it in your spare time. But if you're just doing it for fun and the new experience, like meeting somebody new and playing with them, that's pretty rad. Max, you learn like new styles or just like different influence along the way. It's pretty rad. Totally. And it's all about improvisation too. It's just like anything, right? Podcasting, um, uh, stand up, uh, you know, you, yeah. it's, it's public speaking. You have to continue improvising and music's been a great thing to understand, like playing with an audience. Uh, you know, when I was a DJ and I played a lot of DJ shows, that was a big thing, like understanding and reading people and, and really, uh, you know, finding what they like. And I guess that's true for anything, even with my YouTube channel, if I wasn't, uh, you know, looking at trends, you know, not that I like pick exact trends but if i wasn't looking at trends that were um made sense to the to the actual channel then i wouldn't be yeah. very successful at all it would right. be extremely stagnant like i saw right away what wasn't working and i knew yeah. i needed to change that or else i'd be sunk in like um I loved the niche I had created for myself, but I knew yep. that niche would probably bury me and I needed to diversify or or else. And that's why, you know, you see cannabis reviews, uh, cannabis product unboxings, all of these other things that right. get way more viewership um, because that was one of the rabbit holes I guess I fell down as a musician was um, thinking like, and you know what's funny is like the music I wrote, the album I wrote was called The New House and it's like hip hop and house and trap music and it's everything that like people listen to now right. and is trendy and cool and like, you know, the lo-fi jazz channel or whatever on YouTube. But at yeah. the time I was so um, stern 
in what I thought I needed and what right. I thought the music industry wanted. I was I wanted to play instruments on stage and I wanted to do this and that. And like the reality of it was like I was the opener and maybe that wasn't my spot, but I kept pushing it and I kept doing it. And yeah. inevitably it might've been a little bit of my downfall, but you know what? I wouldn't have been happy with myself if I hadn't um, pushed in that direction. Right. So what like you've obviously done some cool shit as far as like, you know, uh, switching from trying to be a musician. And so you didn't, you went into, um, uh, being a Somalia after that. Right. Or just how long were you like, how long were you doing at the same time, I guess, or like the Somalia thing happened because I was failing at, oh. at everything else. No, I had, uh, so I had, sorry, I'm trying to set you up here. Good. Oh, um, man, it's all good. I had uh, gone to Vancouver to work in cannabis, and that was kind of a dud in the end. Yeah. Um, and I came back, and I, uh, when I had left, was when I was really um, cranking it out in music, and I was hyper focused on it. And then I left, um, and I released uh, one track on an EP that I had put together for a cool uh, group. Uh, collective Noctilux that's still releasing music and is still like a big driving force um, but it just kind of fizzled because I because I left I don't even remember what I was talking about anymore but um, <laughs> I asked you why you uh, what made you get into being a sommelier oh yeah uh, perfect right because music yeah. fizzled that was that was really it I was like I was like <laughs> yeah. okay this is the this is my dream this is like this is like what I really want to do I still want to yeah. be in front of people I still want to be a showman and I'd come back from Vancouver, and I was supposed to play the uh, Red Man and Method Man show, and I didn't get that bill. No shit. And yeah, I got to open for some cool people. Like I, I rapped as an opener for Souls of Mischief and Talib Kweli, and like yeah, cool, really cool guys that I never could have imagined hanging out with. Right. But I played a lot of EDM and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but I was watching Netflix, and I saw a documentary called Psalm, and uh, the first three minutes, they're like telling you what kind of wine it is, how much the wine costs, what year it's from and using all this amazing vocabulary. And I was yeah. like, holy shit, this is what I did in cannabis as a buyer for all these yeah. years. Just everybody always argued, um, who's got the better cannabis and like mine's yeah. better than yours, blah, 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 blah. And I knew that if these guys were the most accredited palates in the world and I had similar accreditations to them, that nobody could then... Uh, for lack of a better term, poo-poo what I was saying and say, no, you're wrong. And I saw it as an amazing way to accredit myself as a leader in the cannabis community. And so like five minutes into that documentary, I uh, searched Calgary wine courses and I booked one. That was a Tuesday and I booked a course for a Friday, WSET level one, which is kind of where you start. Um, And I went to that course and I loved it. Uh, actually, funny story. The first question she asked, she was like, what other agricultural product is strain specific and has over 150 different varietals and is growing <laughs> all over the world? And I was yeah. like, boom, cannabis. Yeah. And everybody laughed at me. And I was like, no, 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 you'll see. I'm going to be the yeah. cannabis sommelier. And everyone's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And uh, the lady came up after and she's like, I'm not going to ask that question anymore. I was like, yeah, you shouldn't. And so I went home and I was really stoked on it because I'd worked and grew and grown cannabis before. I knew I needed to be connected to the agricultural product. So I I, I wrote a pretty uh, inflated CV 
and uh, put out like 50 resumes. And I got a job on, on a winery as a, as an apprentice winemaker, cellar oh, hand. Sick. And I lived on the winery for the next couple months, yeah. um, just soaking it all in and like really, you know, and, and that was another big thing. Like if I wanted to be somebody, I had to, I had to go work in winemaking. And now I have like that incredible experience of like, living on the bench and just being around winemakers and living on a vineyard for four months and like only working and only studying. And, uh, that really gave me a lot of street cred to get in the doors that I needed to. And it actually got me my job. I ended up selling fine wines, uh, fine Italian wines because my mom went to a wine show and, uh, ended up meeting my future mentor and was like, yeah, my son's in BC making wine. He's like, uh, He's like a, a a wine guy, and he's like, "What? There's a kid from Calgary who wants to make wine," yeah. and uh, I got this guy's number, and I had to call him like six times, to, and he finally met me. We met yeah. for coffee, and uh, I just started talking to him. And like twelve minutes into our meeting, he's like, "Yeah, so you need to come work for me," and I was yeah, like, I "Okay, perfect." And that put me in a position to be a on-premise wine consultant and just work with fine dining restaurants, that, and yeah, that's pretty cool, man. It's like so. Sounds like a dream. But isn't there, is there like levels to be in a Somalia? You're like, yeah, it's like a master and there's like different things going on. But at some point you're a Somalia, you just have a different level of it, right? Like if you take, there's like, a real interesting hierarchy. Uh, yeah. So like, like political, huh? It, it kind of is. And that's why I take like a big beef to it when people call themselves like cannabis Somalia, when they take a one day course uh from canna reps and then they go around flaunting that they're like a Somalia when sure. It, it's like anybody know, doing things. Yeah. yeah. The word sommelier is wine steward. So at its core, like a sommelier is somebody that controls a wine program. Um, There are two streams in the wine world. There's a master of wine and there's a master sommelier. The master of wine is very scientific, never um, goes onto like the sales floor. It's not working in a restaurant um, and, and gets to write everything and it's much more analytic and scientific. Whereas the sommelier stream, you really need to be like, have proper service. There's fine dining service and etiquette there. Right. You need to be like able to speak and pontificate your ideas, not just write them out. Um, so one side is really for like the swag and one side is much nerdier. Um, I am a WSET level three. So that's the Wine and Spirit Education Trust, which is the oldest accrediting body for wine education in the world. Huh. Uh, yeah, they st- yeah, they started in 1868 in the UK. Um, and that's kind of where everybody starts. To be a master of wine, you need to get your diploma in from WSET, which is your WSET four. Uh, I'm a WSET three, which is an international accreditation in wine. So it's like the level, if you want to control like you know, uh, an international wa- a wine program for a hotel chain okay. or something like that. This is kind of like the standard that they'd expect. Okay. Um, I'm, and then the sommelier side, you go to the court of master sommeliers and you become a certified sommelier, advanced sommelier, and then you take the master sommelier course. There's like 380 right. master sommeliers that have ever existed. But shout out to my boy, Kurt De Silva, who's sitting <laughs> for his master sommelier, court of master sommelier exams this year. Absolute G. Yeah, like I watched, I watched. Shout out to him, man. I watched that uh, that that movie. I mean, this is probably so basic, but like it seems stressful. Like you go in there and you're trying to like at the highest level. Like you're, they put you under the gun, eh? Like it's hard, like, man. Yeah, to be a master in anything. That's why I fucking hate the uh, term master grower. Yeah, like oh yeah, 
Damn. you know, it really, it really chokes me up. My, I have a friend, Chef Michael Alamier, and he's a master chef. You know how many master chefs there's ever been in the world? I don't know. 180. Okay. Like legitimately ones where I like, yeah, okay. Real well, accredited master chef. You know who gives out the master chef accreditation? The American Culinary Federation, the Canadian Culinary Federation, the French Culinary right. Federation are like the accrediting bodies for it. And are they all like in like cahoots? Like with the American company, is it like the same, yeah. it's yeah. all the same rules, just different it's countries? The first one, I believe, uh, somebody might jump down my throat, but I actually think the ACF started the very first master chef sure. thing and they were collected because there's like all these hardcore culinary competitions around the world. Like there's a side of uh, culinary competition that unless you're like a huge food nerd, you would never know about. And right. so, you know, there's these massive culinary Olympics that happen. And as these uh, people were collecting, they, and all these peers were together, they knew that they needed to um, figure out a way to accredit a master because the okay. word master is thrown around way too easily um in everything man like you'd be like a jedi master that's tough man and like yeah like, you don't oh. get to be a jedi master you got to be a padawan for a long time <laughs> yeah, for sure yeah totally i'm not a star wars guy but i mean even just like being like a master chef or just like even like i don't know the master i mean like a master jujitsu or something like that even just kind of like your black belt kind of stuff it takes a long time to get that shit man you while we're on it, it while we're on my pet peeves aside from yeah. master i hate how easily standing ovations are given it just <laughs> fucking chaps my ass how yeah, everybody you know thinks. Oh. You know what's funny with that is like when you see it happening, you're like, really? And you're like kind of sitting there like, ah, oh. like, all right. And you just get up and just do it. And you're like, this isn't not, you're like, fuck. And because you feel dumb sitting down. You yeah. Like, but, I guess, but, maybe, I don't know. Do you, do you just say fuck it and like sit it out and go, nope, I'm not into it? You heard, you heard how much I hate people. I started this whole podcast with fuck people. <laughs> Uh, I walked into Princess Auto today, so Alberta called it, declared a state of emergency, and I needed butane so I could take dabs, obviously, great pandemic yeah. planning, yeah. and um, there was, God, 120 people in Princess Auto for some reason, and right at the front, I know, is the busiest place in Calgary today. You right before toilet they, paper there? Yeah. No, no toilet paper, just, uh, just mechanical supplies. Um, <laughs> So I walk in and they have gloves for everybody. And I like look at the gloves and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to put on some gloves for sure. They're here for a reason. No problem. Yeah. And this guy behind yeah. me laughs out sure. loud at me. Like, yeah. I, there's, um, yeah, we got, we're declared a state of emergency as well in BC too, just this afternoon. And then Ontario's got it. But I don't know what the difference is. I, uh, it's, so there's like, so Calgary also at the municipal level, it'll they also declared a state of emergency because okay. everybody unlocks emergency and contingency funds. Basically, oh, right. it's all a big finesse of the bank of now what can happen. Just like Trump printing two hundred seventy billion dollars to bail out or six hundred seventy billion dollars to bail out the stock market. Now you get to unlock all these all these secret funds that may or may not well, exist. Different. And different rules too, right? Where they can like change like what they how they operate police wise and everything else too, I guess, eh? Yeah, that was a big yeah. thing. Like they can change um so now with the state of emergency in Calgary, like if you come to Calgary and you've driven over the border from Montana, even though there's still that free trade over the border, you have to quarantine. If you don't quarantine for fourteen days, like they're gonna they're willing to fine you. Yeah. I, that's crazy, man. Um But let's uh so we 
we're gonna I'm gonna wanna we're gonna move on from the quarantine stuff a little bit because we'll we'll probably jump into it every once in a while because we're late. But we have um, to. Yeah, it's good shit. Yeah. As we look back and we have this footprint on the internet, you know, yeah. these are these are very interesting times. And if I mm. could have done video podcasts during World War II when the same economic crises were plaguing you know global society, uh, it's like a journal. Yeah. Exactly. It's incredible. Yeah. And these yeah. conversations are what will, you know, really shape future conversations. Um, I think it's I think it's super responsible. I've I was I was planned on being in Vancouver, like and Whistler, I wanted to co- I was gonna come snowboarding yeah, with you before the end of the season. Like I was just gonna be like, Fuck it, let's go ride and now yeah. uh Lake Louise and Sunshine are both closed and I got a you know, passes that are burners now. Dude, yeah, well, that's the same thing that happened here, right? But like, I, in the seat, well, I don't think I would have like we talked about podcasting, if, you know, in the past, cr- crossing paths and stuff, just about like the general idea of it. But I don't know if I would have like we, if I, if this didn't happen. I mean, I'm not saying like this virus is getting for podcasting, but we probably wouldn't be doing this at this moment, right? We would have just been maybe it would have been put off or wait till we got we were in person or something. Totally, so, totally, yeah. It, it changes the social dynamic for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think like even just today, like just going outside, like went out for a quick bike ride around my just around my uh, neighborhood here, and I haven't been outside all day. But people still out walking around doing shit. I mean, not that it's bad, but like they're pretty. You can see they're all walking by themselves. Yeah, you know that. Like yeah. I'm out with the dog, and I saw my neighbor and her dogs barking from across the street, and I'm like, "You just stay over there." Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you like, are you right in Calgary, or you live out near, near like around the outskirts or something? I am. Like, uh, like dead center. I like to say I'm in the deep south. Uh, right. I'm as I'm as far south as you can possibly be. Like it takes like 40 minutes to get to the airport. It'd still be in Calgary though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I can drive to the city limit in two minutes. Like I'm the very okay. last uh, yeah. stretch at the end of the city. What's it like there for um, like as a, as your job as a sommelier or can't like do you still like we did that event not long ago. Um, yeah. Super cool man the way you hosted it and just like how you brought the, the idea of wine and cannabis together you know where you were talking about like the prohibition kind of style of it all but uh what's the what's the appetite there in, in calgary for this kind of stuff is it you, you seem like you kind of move around a lot it's not the they're not as calgary's definitely not as hungry as anywhere else that's more culturally starved well i guess we're culturally starved here there's like toronto and the event that you saw in february for the elevated dining series um was incredible like we had to turn away people. It was 42 people, sold out restaurant, full yeah. staff. Like that was my dream to to fruition completely. Right. Um, when I've gone to Chicago or Beverly Hills to do different parties, you know, yeah. 100 plus people, 150 people, totally different atmosphere, narrative, right. dialogue, everything going on. Uh, Calgary, not, not so much. Uh, like I had a, I thought I had a partner for 420 to do a dinner, a restaurant partner, and they bailed out even though I made it very clear, uh, you know, the risks that were involved. And, right. uh, then they were just like, ah, no, you know, at first it was like, yeah, we're good with the risks. And then it was, no, we're not into it. So here, you know, the whole base of the elevated dining series and everything that I've done and me trying to change the, the culture and bring the conversation of campus back to the dinner table is how to be done in private residences and Airbnbs. Um, and there's very limiting factors on those venues compared to, um, actually being able to operate in a restaurant. So 
people are willing to take more risks in those bigger cities. Not that Calgary is not the fourth biggest city in Canada. It's just um, it's 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 very conservative. So I I, I the, there's a very big reality that I need to travel to keep pushing um, the right. idea that I want to push. Yeah, it's like um, I mean that that event was cool. I, I always just I always just thought I got a headache here, so I'm just fucking with my hair. Um, I I always thought I mean I I guess I was just I kind of assumed that Calgary is a little bit less that way, you know, like more open to it at all. But then I figured maybe there's more wine things going on for you there because you still do that stuff. You must are you do you even do event like just strictly wine events anymore? Like no, I uh, I left the wine industry um, a while ago. Okay. Um, when I left the liquor industry, I was the Luxardo uh, ambassador for Western Canada oh, cool. um, and was selling wine. But like I did a, I did a, I did a wine and cannabis party, uh, three wine and cannabis party like eight days ago, 10 days ago, which is fun. So I still have, but now like obviously my private party business is, 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 is completely halted. Um, yeah. So no, I haven't. I haven't worked in wine at all. There's obviously lots of wine events that are going on, and lots of things I could do. But that's a. It's a pretty cutthroat industry, right? It's crazy yeah. to think that there's 186,000. This is a great relation to anybody that knows you from the cannabis industry. There's 186,000 liquor SKUs in Alberta um, that any person can buy, and you know there's 700, 800 people like actually on the front lines selling those 800, 186,000 SKUs. So you right. really know everybody, um, and the industry right. is very cutthroat. It's it's uh, it's quite deceptive. You have to, you know, bend the rules to to be booze, competitive. Man. It's booze, exactly. It's what cannabis will be very quickly. Um, everybody's yeah. just too hoity-toity and doesn't understand it, and never did their due diligence to realize what they were actually getting into. Um, so no. I, I wanted to be in booze and in that sales side of booze so that I could learn uh, supply chain management and all these things for CPG products. Um, I worked with Red Bull as well um, because I knew that everything I've been doing for like the last six years adds up to where I am now as the director of retail development for a um, you know cannabis retail group and cool. having my own hustle as well because... I needed to understand like how distribution works, how to do all this because my initial plan was to distribute cannabis brands. I thought through my network, I'd be able to take all of my legacy um, connections and have the premier distribution agency um, in Canada, which right. is still a big reality, but that was the yeah. initial plan of like really understanding um, wine and provincial systems and why I became a Canadian wine scholar as well. I'm one of few Canadian wine scholars uh, just because I wanted to know Canada liquor laws in and out uh, as a consultant. I saw them literally reflecting each other. The end of prohibition wasn't very different 80 years ago or a hundred years ago than it was, right. you know, a couple years ago. What do you see? Like, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to go check my camera to make sure it's still recording because it happens all the time that it stops. But uh, I guess since you're, you've been doing like, you know, you're, you were deep in the wine industry and the alcohol in, in the side of things and the cannabis industry that we're both in right now is, you know, heavily operated by, tobacco and, and ex uh, alcohol guys and, pe and women and just people in general um and i know the alcohol industry is very much older but do you see like i mean what are the top I don't, it's probably a lot but like what are the top top couple of parallels you see right now like maybe the, the cannabis industry catching up to these these things like what do you see as some of the similarities or maybe the downfalls that cannabis might fall into yeah, yeah. um go check your camera while i answer this question so 
one of the big things that I see actually right now is that most of the executives from alcohol are are the ones that are running cannabis right now like if you look at any board of any cannabis company there's somebody from like you said big alcohol uh, mainly big tobacco is not so much in there a lot of those guys they realized were kind of schmucks and uh couldn't 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 hang as well weren't as big of hustlers um but you know what can what can cannabis learn uh corruption's absolute and that part of it is kind of messed up um we can definitely in the next six to 12 months you're going to start seeing allocations and relationship sales are a really big thing in alcohol if you don't know the right person then you don't get the right product then you don't bring the correct consumer to your brick and mortar store um so as you know as that world evolves like if we look at connect which they use in bc and alberta right now two separate because because the provincial bodies but same uh, operating system uh there's an open stock a general stock and then there's allocations where i can right. bring in very specific things and me as a liquor retailer i can go anywhere in the world i can bring in six cases of whatever i want skew it pay my pay my duties with uh aglc and then i can go out and sell that product right um that's gonna happen really quick like the next 24 months in cannabis are gonna change extremely rapidly and i don't think a lot of these retailers or a lot of these distributors are ready for the hard reality of actually having to be salesperson, salespeople, asides from like uh, just pushers. Like right now, you get the order sheet from AGLC, for example, and you have a guaranteed and a non-guaranteed list. Right. And, and basically, everybody puts a gamble in on the non-guaranteed list and asks for right. as much as they can. And then the guaranteed list is all the boof that nobody really fucking wants uh from canopy aurora and all these big guys that but they're every- making tons of it so they know you can just get it right exactly but yeah. every time somebody doesn't buy it because it's not selling in any of these retail locations which we're seeing only the good cannabis sells then the then the stale date just gets older and older and older and older right. and then those guarantee products become less and less desirable the not guarantee products become more and more desirable and harder to get yeah Harder for now, the other reality, if there's 186,000 alcohol SKUs in Alberta alone, then how long does it take for hundreds, if not thousands, of extra SKUs to be added into provincial programs for cannabis? Like, I know hundreds of ones that are pending for legalization 2.0 from tons of different different producers. Uh, We're going to see tons of micros pushing uh, their products through people's different sales licenses. Right. So really quickly, you know, if you don't have the correct market share and the correct reputation, um, your product's going to become obsolete and it's going to be the Jackson Triggs yellowtail of the of the industry. And you're going to see a lot of local producers and a lot of regionality start popping up. Like, you know, the list of uh, small LPs that are awaiting sales licenses is ever growing and yeah. there's not very many micros. I believe there's 26 in Canada right now. But again, that's yeah. 26 more producers who will probably put out 12 to 18 more SKUs. Um, right. Right, right there is 400 SKUs. So that's what I think cannabis needs to learn from alcohol is that relationships are a real thing. Um, and, yeah. and I think and, that's with any, that's with most industries for sure. Like, you know, people, I guess, because I guess I don't know a lot about like the, I mean, I know a little bit about the distribution and stuff like that, but like, I feel like 
you know, if, if you're, if the provinces control it, um, your distribution is more like, it's kind of like you're just get it with the way ever you can get it. Right. Like if you, if the provinces buy it and then allocate it to shops or whatever, and just an alcohol or, or cannabis, there's only a certain selection that you just sell to each province. Right. So sometimes you just can't get it, but booze is more free range right now. Right. You just, like you said, you can get it from wherever for now, for now. Yeah, for Cause now. like, yeah. again, we're going to have thousands of SKUs come on market across Canada from medium, small producers um, and you're going to see an explosion of, uh, my air quote craft, uh, yeah. product that is very regional and you'll see a lot of regionality being supported and you'll see much better cannabis come out and it's going to drive prices low because you're going to see this ca- cannabis come out from people that have a legacy mentality, um, where it's going to be, you know, top end 1299 a gram and yeah. it's going to be fantastic cannabis like what you yeah. come to expect in uh you know the top shelf in america i think it'll be cool to see like like you know like alcohol you have these brands that are great i think it'd be cool to see how it turns out because these there's craft brewers i mean it's also it's not the best there's some craft breweries that aren't that great but sometimes they just get a leg they get a good name because they're craft brewery but like it'll be cool to see these small cannabis companies come online and see what happens what they're doing mm-hmm. and i think it's like a <clears throat> it just you just need to have that that leg up somehow or get to step into it and then you're pretty much off to the races i guess because there was a barrier i mean the barrier to entry is pretty strong so as far as c- cash goes right so like massive massive i'm working with a few guys right now and it's uh yeah you know it's you need a couple million dollars and that was easy um a couple years ago but now getting a couple million dollars out of anybody for your cannabis idea is it's tough right yeah <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you yeah. saw what Tilray or Sundial are worth today, but um, no. I would I would hedge my bet that they're going bankrupt at the end of the month. Like uh, right. they're going to take Sundial off the TSX real quick. I think it closed at sixty seven cents today. Um, Tilray is when I looked at noon was at two dollars and eighty five cents, contrasting yeah, but- that to the hundred eighty nine dollars they were worth sixteen months ago. Fuck man, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's but fucked. isn't that isn't that I mean, I don't really follow it that much, and I don't want to get into it too much because you know by, by working it. But like, I think wasn't is is this current outbreak? I know it's like three weeks old in Canada. Maybe like that's when the hype started becoming pretty strong, I guess. But like, that's probably. I mean, I know they were kind of going down beforehand. Yep. But this is a huge drop for everybody in this respect for this. Yep. But I wonder how much of it if it, if this virus thing didn't happen, you know, with the Tilray'd still be going out of business. Right. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Fair enough. I put money um, on that. I've seen. I've seen the. I've seen the, you know Hexo, Sundial, Tilray. They're sinking ships. Uh, tool processors, Valence. They're making money. Uh, Oxley's making money. There's companies that are out there making making money. No problem. Right. Uh, right. You know. They. Um. Not to speak too closely, but I know there's. Uh, you know, there's good burns and there's good money to be made out there. Um, yeah. You don't need to be. There's blood in the water, though, in a lot of sure. these places. Uh, people that overspent and are now, like, if you look at Canopy today, they decided to close every store that they have money in and are probably going to close their grows down. And I was like, oh, great. Uh, you can take the crop insurance, just like any agricultural product, uh, lay off all your staff, and then show your investors that you save some earnings. Like, pretty fucking sleazy move to blame a virus um, to, to appease your, your shareholders because it's a big sinking ship of overspending and greed. 
Right. It's like a it's like a perfect storm, I guess. They can use it as I mean, I don't know. I don't really follow it that much, but I guess like yeah, I mean, these are t- fucked up times for sure, but I, it's almost like the dot-com bubble, which I won't really know. I don't really know much about it, but what I've heard, you know, the big hype, and then it just kind of falls apart, and then the, the really strong ones survive. So, Like anything, yeah, I mean, right? It's pretty standard, right? It's I like sh- a football football season or baseball season, the strongest survive, and it goes up and down. That's it. I, You know, like we were just talking about, I've been working with people for different raises and different things, and uh, one of the teams, I actually said today, like, hey, you know, instead of like putting this money up why don't we go and buy something else that's already going and and do what we want to it because uh yeah right that's that's the reality with the public company you know if you're worthless and you have a specific market cap you can just buy a company jeez that's the thing like there's gonna be i mean i guess this happens a lot like just bigger companies have had the money anybody anybody survives this you know yeah right Oh man, yeah. uh, they I just got a thing from BNN Bloomberg, right? And it's not like I'm talking shit. It's all no, on the newswire. Like, it's facts, yeah, for yeah, sure. They they took coronavirus and just fired and laid off a whole bunch of people and said that was their excuse. Um, and so they're done like providing any info to retailers, and they refuse to comment how many people still work for the company, um, which is like youch. And last time I looked, they were real cheap. I was talking to somebody who literally said, "Oh, we should probably just buy this whole thing." And I was like, "Well, now that seems ruthless." Oh right, because they were public. I didn't even. I totally didn't even like. Yeah. Totally just yeah right. Oh man. And so that's an interesting. I mean, it's a time. shame. It's a shame. Like I mean, the, everybody had so much hype, and I don't. I don't know how much I can talk about. I mean, I, I, I'm not gonna say a ton of where I work and stuff, but like I think it's a real shame that all this hype didn't work out, you know, like it'll work out for the right players. I think yeah, that's, that's true. One of the true. really interesting parts of this industry. And one of the reasons like a lot of people from that legacy market are upset because they know that their operators that have had to continue having money coming in, you know, uh, they have to be, have cash flow positive businesses or right. else their business doesn't operate. Um, and so I see a lot of people who might not have the same business acumen or professionalism, but have been running, uh, professional illicit businesses for a long time that stayed cash flow positive, doing the exact same things that everybody out here is doing. Um, you know, that's all the way from events to selling and growing cannabis. So, um, there's, there's always a market, like even the the, the black, I don't know, the, the legacy market, the black market, the gray market, whatever everybody calls it. I don't even I don't even like any of those names anymore, but um, I don't know what to call it now. It's the other market, but like that's still I mean the prices have changed, but it's still pretty strong. Like I mean, there's still people going good grass out there, so like you know, it's like people still want it. Yeah, and prices are rock bottom too. Like for what yeah. I can speak of to that, never in my life have I seen or heard of such cheap cannabis uh, at right. quality. Yeah, I haven't really bought it on the on the on the other on the other market for a while, but. Uh, thousand dollar pounds are everywhere yeah right yeah like that's the thing like when i was when i was like 18 or 20 even when i used to do manage it uh it was like you can get like 2800 bucks and 30 like people would pay a lot of two three grand you know way back in like i don't know late 90s even yeah now it's becoming again kind of a uh a, a worthless commodity which is really fucked up but as on you- the yeah because yeah, because I mean, it's worth it. Yeah, it kind of is, right? Because there's only a few ones that'll survive this, and that, uh, right now it's pretty. Everything's at the bottom. Like, how much is a 
It's like four or five bucks a gram, I guess, right? At that point, if you're getting... Actually, no. It's a thousand dollars a pound. Yeah, four or forty-two or four or forty-eight in a pound. So yeah, you know, just above two bucks uh, oh, yeah. a gram, which is nothing, absolutely nothing. Because if you look at what like profitability is for a large LP, for our listeners that don't know these things but are maybe interested in it, uh, yeah. you really need to get below a buck seventy-four to have profitability. Um, so right. if cannabis is being sold around that two dollar and twelve cents you can see the actual margins uh, that people are operating under. Um, but you're still getting it. If you're buying an eighth or a quarter, you're still spending, you're not spending. Well, then you're spending 30 bucks and, and the guy, the guy who's taking yeah. the risk is making a lot of money because with mandatory minimums, I guess came in a lot of that stuff. If you want to smith and it's always been that way. If you want to sell dime bags, you will forever and always make the most money. You can sell a yeah. pallet of cannabis and make a thousand bucks, 2000 bucks on a quick flip. And you've sold yeah. 500 pounds or you could buy a pound for a thousand bucks flip it all yeah. in eighths and be a rich motherfucker <laughs> so the hustler always yeah. wins yeah for sure it's like that dude what's that television show um ah oh, damn i'm gonna forget the story's gonna suck it's on like tlc <laughs> where he goes and like he goes and just buys a bunch of garbage that like he just works people at the bottom ah what's this ah damn it anyway he makes a killing because they'll go and like, just go in and somebody's got like a room full of like, you know, wheels, like casters for like, I got a thousand of them. I got stuck with them. I'll give you 500 bucks and they'll battle for it. And he'll go and sell them something for like 2000 bucks. Who needs them? Like just part by part. The liquidation guy. Yeah. 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 The lick. Yeah. That's right. So my mom was a bylaw <laughs> officer. She was a business licensor for years. Yeah. And I grew up around pawn shop guys and liquidation guys just like that. And like yeah. that business was very, very, very clear to me. Uh, you buy cheap shit from China and you sell it and you piece it out and you make money. Like even today, you know, like you can't go, go to a cannabis store. Like you think all that stuff was made here and that it actually costs a hundred dollars for a bong, like, you or know, grind or whatever. Yeah. Right. Listeners, savvy listeners who have listened all 47 minutes in to me yeah. and Ryan's podcast, uh, <laughs> dhgate.com, Alibaba, uh, yeah. the supply chain might be fucked up for a little bit, but you can get stuff for dirt cheap and you can buy it by the piece. Yeah. There used to be like, um, Alibaba had this, you like buy like night lights for mountain biking, like these bright, bright lights. And some companies will sell them by 200 bucks for 300 bucks or 800 bucks, whatever you want to sell them for like in bike shops. But if you get 10 friends together, we all pay, pitch in, you can and use a minimum of 10 buys. You can buy the sickest, brightest lights for like a hundred, like 80 bucks, hundred bucks, as long as you can get them all. Right. So that's like, that happens. That's like, as long as you're willing to put a little effort in and then wait six months for it to get here or three months, whatever. But the Shenzhen yeah. secret as they call it. Uh, yeah. I just got to go where it's made. Yeah. It's, which is just, it's, 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 I mean, it's good and bad because we should be buying locally too at the same time. Right. You know, like as much as I can buy local, I do. Yeah. But yeah. there's a limit to everything, right? Like for I'm not sure. gonna, there's some things that I need cheap stuff of. And yeah. I, I like to buy quality in absolutely everything that I can, but sometimes I just need a I just need a cheap thing to do this. Yeah, right, for sure. Yeah, fair enough, man. I mean, I got all this podcast stuff off Amazon, except my computer. My whole yeah, exactly. Everything that I do yeah. for podcasting, making YouTube videos, everything is from Amazon, um, as and it's as cheap as I could possibly buy it for, except for the DSLR and my iMac. Yeah. 
I was gonna ask you about that. So you're you're podcasting it before you use I use my phone. I bought a new iPhone eleven just because it was good. My I had an iPhone eight I was using before for my podcast. I was doing one angle, but I don't really care. But um, what were you what were you using before? Were you using a DSLR for it? I never your- recorded the podcast. Oh, you just audio because there was video limitations. Yeah, because uh, the pod the video like a DSLR only films for so long, right? Yeah. Okay, I learned why. There's a rule to sell. It as a yeah. DSLR camera and not a video camera. It can only yeah. record for 12 minutes. It can't record for 13 minutes. So that's why it cuts at uh, 12, 12 minutes, 59 seconds every time. Because um, I watch these podcasts and I watch all the video and the behind the scenes, they all have DSLRs. I don't get it. They have like three angles, but they can't be like going every 12 minutes, turning the thing back on. It just seems strange. There's a guy running it though, that, yeah. right? Like when we're watching those, shout out to my videographer, Brandon Keats, third wheel marketing. He's a G. Yeah. Um, he has like... There's a thing called Mixer, and then you can have three DSLRs going and live streaming, and it's not, right. uh, I don't know. There's there's some way to finesse it so that it's not yeah. clipping like that, and you can it's just... It's almost like the cameras are a portal, and you're recording remotely, separately. Exactly, like a news, yeah. ca- news camera feed would be yeah. camera one, camera two, camera three. Yeah, right. Yeah, I can, I'll be I'll be that pro someday. Maybe I don't know. Three mics, three cameras. Maybe how's your six. How's the podcast doing? I know it's interesting to talk about the podcast, the business of podcasting in the yeah. podcast. But I think people find it interesting. Yeah, for sure. I don't. My, my, as far as the business goes, I just do it for fun. I haven't done one in a while. I I hadn't. Well, I took like two or three months off. I was kind of like just really wasn't into it. And then um, I don't get a ton of views. I don't. Um, I don't put a lot like the the production values is what it is. Like I don't, I'm not trying to change. Like I, you know, I made this backdrop and stuff. But, the set upgrades uh, are sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I don't really put a lot of effort into. This is gonna sound bad, and don't everybody be listening. Don't take this the wrong way, but like, <laughs> I just like the fact that there's no um, there's no pressure to it. I just do it. Yeah, like if good. it was like super prime, I had like a, a crazy intro music and stuff going on. I'd always feel like I had to like really be set up a super pro. Like I don't, if the audio cuts out halfway through, I'll still post and just put a weird, like some kind of jokey image at the back. Right. So I don't get it. My views drop when I stopped doing it. So the consistency was working when I first was doing it. I was getting more views at the end. My most viewed podcast between audio and YouTube is like maybe 350 an episode for an episode. Okay. That's pretty good though, right? Um, the fact that 350 yeah. people want to spend any amount of time listening to you <laughs> is amazing to me. Even it's five minutes on YouTube, yeah. <laughs> and that was the most I get. Some of them have like 40, you know what I mean? Like, just depends. Totally. And I, I, I don't know what it is. You know, sometimes like, it just depends how much the person, like the person who comes to the show usually helps me more than I help them as far as like notoriety and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it depends if that person's really popular, they have a lot of friends. And usually it's the people who I, who I don't think are going to make a lot of audio or a lot of views are the ones who do. Because they'll have a lot of like grassroots friends. Like, oh, you're on this? And their friends are excited to see them on the podcast because they haven't seen them. Like, they're not like normally on this test kind of stuff, right? So, right. A macro fun, influencer. Man. Yeah. But it's fun, man. I dig it. Because I wouldn't, I want to become a better t- listener and a better communicator. Um, and I think that's a, it's just like having to sit and talk to somebody that I want to talk to, but I can't like get up and just get, like we talked about earlier, not getting distracted, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's going okay. I should. I want to have like 50 in the tank before I maybe try to promote it or get like, you know, put really do a lot of promotion behind it. Cause it's just like social media stuff. But, um, I don't really, um, I don't really do much research on it. Like I, I, I'm part of a couple podcast groups. Everyone's like, well, how do you do this? How do you advertise? And I'm just like, scroll by, I'm like, whatever. But, uh, you, you know, don't, if I had to do it for, if I had to do it for a living, I don't know, man. It'd be, I don't know. 
and I'd love to know how to monetize it for sure. Like maybe get obviously get sponsors, but it's a joke. It's YouTube, a joke. Yeah. Don't even go there. You don't. Yeah. I want to dive into it right now. People sure. that actually make money podcasting are like Joe Rogan. Everybody yep. else uh, pretends like they do or gets a couple, you know, couple couple hundred dollar gigs here and there. But the number one way that I've found to make money in content is by to continually making free content and not asking for money. Right. Um, but then actually when you need money, having a, having a decent idea of something to, to actually create from. Um, but I think the power of media is getting a lot of, like my mom always told me, get a job somewhere you want a discount. Um, creating media around these things the things that I find important have given me the opportunity to have like so much free shit and right. so many discounts. <laughs> like right, it blows yeah. my mind as I look over at this brand new magical butter machine or like yeah. this handful of vapes, you know, I never, I, I got <laughs> fucking magic mushrooms. I got a box full of free magic mushrooms just yeah, because I, my way. Yeah. well, they're great here. I'm going to show you because they'll be happy that I did this. Yeah. Well, I used to work in the ski industry. I get like, that's the thing. The same thing. You just got a bunch of like ski stuff. What do you got there? They sent me this nice box. Super fun guy, which I thought was funny. That's going to take off soon too, I guess. eh? It's going to be huge. Still check this out. They got, there's, there's Jeez, dude. packed mushrooms. M- yep. They write medicinal mushrooms on it. There's yep. uh micro doses, 30 oh, micro doses. Yeah. And then these ones are uh 0.3 caps and they have like uh golden teacher mushrooms and then lion's mane 5 htp cbd oh no ginseng shit. so it's, so it's uh, like a it's like a paul stamets stack almost with a bit of extra shit in it yeah exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> so yeah, um that's pretty good you know like aside from you might not ever actually make money from youtube or any of mm, this stuff yeah but the free shit is great <laughs> Yeah, like I had visions of grandeur to do it right, and I was like, oh, "I'd be cool." And I was like, "What if I started like selling stuff?" Like I thought about doing this thing called making some coffee, call it casual coffee, and just like try to sell my coffee through my podcast. And I was like, I googled it. Somebody else has a name in the U.S., but they don't sell here. I might do it. But yeah, I kind of the same thought. I was like, "How much money can you make podcasting unless you have a giant audience, or you're doing like a Patreon thing or something like that, right?" And um, I have a full time job, so I don't have like the like the I can't hustle, spend the need. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I would. I Patreon's a weird the, world. What's that? Patreon's a weird world. I've uh, I never, I never even looked at. It. I don't know. It's kind of like a ongoing crowd, like go 